0: I always find it... um wonderful to hear stories um because you know i can stand up and speak and tell you what i think and know what what i think the bible says and what i think god's saying but um stories of faith are your stories uh, they are things that have happened to you and things that god is doing in you and it's really difficult to to deny you might disagree or you might think that well how did that happen but actually it's my story it's what it's what god is i'm also interested to to hear so often it's the girls who come up and tell stories have you noticed that So, boys, I think the word for tonight is you need to grow some big balls for Jesus. (laughs) That's what I heard. That is the line of the year. And will travel with me around the world. Grow some big balls for Jesus. Excellent. Um, And uh, we're joking, but we're serious. Uh, Does God do nothing in the life of men in this church? Okay, that's enough of the beat up. I'd love it if, you'd, if you have a Bible, if you turn uh, to the book of Daniel. Daniel is right, almost like in the middle of the Bible. If you find a Bible and you cut it in the middle, you'll find the book of Daniel. You know, uh, oftentimes um, as I prepare to speak uh, in this place, and, and this is a very unusual gathering that we, we have here once a month, but as I prepare to speak, I have something I think this is from God, and this is good, and it could be called a sermon. And there are other times when I think, well, I've got an idea or a thought, I think this is going to work, and it gets called a talk or a message in my head, and then there are other times like tonight when just some thoughts, (laughs) I think these are some thoughts, I think this is maybe what God is saying, so uh, let's have a conversation about some of these things. Daniel chapter 6, and there's just one verse, verse 10, that I really want to focus on in just a minute. We've heard some good news stories. Lots of them, but our world is full of bad news stories, isn't it? Just don't want to focus too much on them. But uh, our world is full of full of stories and full of statistics and full of. Uh, full of I was reading just the other day. Um, one in ten people in the United Kingdom don't own a single printed book. Can you believe that? I, I read that and thought that's not true. But it's the Sunday Times, so it must be true. One in ten people in Britain, don't own a single book. By contrast, the average household contains 8.2 devices connected to the internet, rising to 10.9 devices in households with kids. That's an, I'm probably it's an interesting thing for us to analyze later. An esti- at the same time, an estimated 25 million books have gone missing from Britain's public libraries in the last 20 years clearly not stolen by the people who don't have any books in their houses. Can you believe that? 25 million books get nicked from public libraries. Do you know the most stolen book? The Bible. It's the most stolen book. In, in, I, I, don't know. I don't know if that's a yay or a woo. It's probably a yay. Depends what you're doing with the Bible. I had a conversation with someone who came to faith by smoking the Bible. Apparently it makes good roll-up paper. I'm serious. That's what happened. 29% of office staff have complained to their bosses about their lunch being stolen at work. There's there's just a whole bunch of statistics out there about bad news stories and good news stories. But the interesting statistics that I heard this week are these. 390,000 people in Scotland are regular churchgoers. That's all. 42% of those 390,000 people are aged over 65 years of age. Uh, and that figure is down from 850,000 in 1984. It's like the population of people who trust God or believe in God or believe that somehow God is contained or or or, or, or is ever in any church <laughs> has fallen off the cliff in our nation. At the same time, at the same time, here's a statistic: one in four of Scotland's children currently live in poverty according to the child poverty statistics. One in four of Scotland's children currently live in poverty. That's an incredible statistic, isn't it? In an affluent nation. The statistic that worried me this week was that the bomb that Mr. Kim just detonated in North Korea is five times the power of the bomb that devastated Nagasaki. Nagasaki. And killed hundreds of thousands of people. We live in a pretty crazy world, don't we? And we can stand up here and sing songs and pray prayers and, 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 and talk about God. And we do so against the backdrop of a world that's pretty messed up with broken people. Pretty messed up with a planet that's dying. Pretty messed up with systems that no longer seem to be able to cope with what's going on in our, in our world. So turn with me to Daniel chapter six, and I just want to say a few things about that passage of scripture. You know, as um as I prayed this week, the one thought I couldn't get out of my head is this the biggest danger in our world is not Mr. Kim or Mr. Trump. However dangerous both of those people probably are. The biggest danger in our world is not Brexit whatever side of the argument you come around on, the biggest danger isn't that. The biggest danger isn't global warming or greenhouse gases or Brussels or any of those things. The biggest danger in our world is that we think wrongly and therefore we act wrongly. The biggest danger in our world is is we think in a way that seems consistent with what everyone else is thinking in this world, but according to the scriptures and according to what I understand about God, is inconsistent with the way in which God thinks, and inconsistent with the way in which God has wired us to think, and inconsistent with the way in which God has wired us to have relationships with people. We are people created in the image of God, and we've forgotten who God is. And intentionally or otherwise, we've decided to live by different rules, different authorities, different philosophies, and different cultures. And then we think it's going to go well for us, and it doesn't go well for us. And we end up with Mr. Kim and civil unrest and Miramar and global warming and floodings and, 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 and politicians acting and behaving in ways that are just inconsistent with being human. The problem is the way in which we think the problem is, the, 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 the philosophy is that the enemy of God has sown into our culture ways of thinking which seem consistent with what everyone else is doing but inconsistent with what God is doing. And we wonder why it's all, it's all broken. And the solution. Well, I'm going to argue just, and stay with me because it's not a fully formed argument, but I'm going to argue that the solution at least in part is prayer. Because in prayer, we get to know who God is. And in prayer, God gets to relate to us in a way that changes the way in which we think and the way in which we act and therefore the outcomes of our lives. In prayer, we get to discover who we are and who we're created to be and what that looks like and what that feels like. In prayer, we get reconnected to the source of wisdom, of love, and of life. As I thought and prayed this week, I began to realize that however good any of the philosophies that are being put up on TED Talks or YouTube chats are, however smart the politicians are, whether they're Democrat or Republican, conservative or socialist or what, they actually don't hold the answer to the issues. Because if they, if they did hold the answer to the issues, it would be being solved. If God is, and God exists, and God has a plan, and there's any point in us being here, we at the very least have a part to play. God's solution is his word and his spirit. God's solution is his people and prayer. And as I, as I thought, I began to think, I've been watching a lot of movies this summer, and I began to wonder whether actually we... We're in the middle of a spiritual Dunkirk, or, or maybe it's not just a spiritual Dunkirk, maybe it's also a spiritual hacksaw rich. You know actually, we, this is not peacetime where we can just hang out and go, "Isn't it lovely?" Or we can continue to have our petty squabbles and go, "Well that, you know that, that difference is, is, is too much for me to handle with you, or we can just change gang every now and again so well, we'll just join someone else's or." Peacetime, you can do those things, but it's wartime, and every time we don't recognize it, the enemy just takes more and more territory from the people of God. Every time we don't engage, and we engage in in prayer, and and so time and time again, I come back to the story of Daniel, because I think I think Daniel's a rock star. And he's just incredible. I mean, honestly. If you've never read the book of Daniel, some of it's crazy stuff, but you have to get beyond the crazy stuff. But Daniel is a rock star. Daniel is When you meet Daniel, Daniel is about 13 or 14 years of age. And he finds himself in the center of the palace of the king in Babylon. And he's so on it as far as God is concerned. And he's so secure in who he is and who God made him to be. That he ends up rising up through the ranks and as, a, as an exile, as a refugee... In Babylon, ends up being number two, and number one is the king. And he ends up influencing culture, he ends up changing decisions, he ends up basically leading a nation, and he doesn't just do it for one king, he does it for three kings. And he starts at the age of about 14, and he ends doing exactly the same stuff at the age of 80. It's just crazy stuff. What we we know about him is that he prioritized the things of God. What we know about him is that, I guess if you know anything about Daniel, you'll know about Daniel in the den of lions. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. What we know about Daniel is that the number one thing in his heart and life was the presence of God. I am going to prioritize God and I'm going to do God's thing. Which is a massive word for us. Because if, if we're going to make a difference, if we're going to find ourselves in the center of God's repair job for this world, we, we can't just have God as an additional extra in our cozy life and go, well, you know, we've got a job and a mortgage and a nice house and we've got the family and we've got everything else and if we add God on top of the equation, it's like the frosting on the cake. You know, we've got God now as well. But for Daniel, that wasn't the case. He was willing to go, do you know what? Honestly, I'm all in. Whether I get the other stuff is in the hands of God and that other stuff isn't bad and sometimes God just gives it to us. But, but for me, he's the thing. I'm going to serve his purposes. We, we know that was Daniel. We know that was Daniel. Daniel was all in. We also know from the story of Daniel that he had a gang. He had a bunch of guys who were with him. And those of you who know the story will know that there was a guy called Shadrach and a guy called Meshach and a guy called Abednego. And uh, great names. You know, I, I actually have dedicated Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's Great names. If, you have twin, if you had triplets, they happen to be boys, do it, I dare you. Uh, he has these mates. And, and the cool thing about Daniel and his mates is he engages in positive peer pressure. I love that. He basically says, I'm going to follow God, and my friends are too, by the way. And uh, I'm going to pray and my friends are going to pray and I'm going to serve God and serve his purposes. My friends are going to serve. Do you know, we often talk about peer pressure as if it's just a negative thing. And usually it is, isn't it? It starts with school and trainers and hairstyles, probably. (laughs) You know, I've got to have whatever trainings everyone else has got to have. I've got to have the hairstyle that's cool. I've got to be, I've I've got to fit in somehow. And then it graduates to houses and neighborhoods and cars and you know we think we grow up we don't actually grow up at all we, we actually employ exactly the same stuff we used to call it peer pressure we now call it keeping up with but that but that's what we don't call it anything at all because we're embarrassed by it but actually that's what happens someone's got something new someone's living up. we let other people set the pace for us what if we were to reverse the peer pressure thing positive peer pressure what if we were to say, do you know what? We're going to serve God's purposes and we don't care. We're going to go all in. It's not going to be an additional extra to our lives. We're going to say, if God sends us, we'll go. If God says something, we'll do it. We're going to say, do you know what? My money is not my money. It doesn't belong to me. My stuff is not my stuff. It came from God. I get to steward it. I'm not just a, I'm not an owner of the stuff. I'm just a manager of the stuff. And we all started to do that. and start, if, you, if we said, do you know what? I want to live a, a life patterned after God and I'm going to trust him. I'm going to stand the weight of my life. On the belief in my heart that there is a God in heaven who changes stuff. And therefore, if he tells me to do something, I'm going to do it. However stupid it feels. Positive peer pressure. I wonder if other people would join you and follow you. And some people will think you're an idiot. So we know that Daniel's, Daniel's into all of that stuff. But um, I want to read Daniel chapter 6 to you. This is Daniel in the Den of Lions. And some of you who grew up in Sunday school will be able to tell us a story. And some of you have no idea what this is, but Daniel is living in a land that isn't his land, and he's risen to a position of power, and he's right in the, uh, the heart of the political system, which is a dog-eat-dog world, or a, a lion-eat-person world, and, and uh, it, right in the heart of it, Daniel is like the favorite of the king, and if you're the favorite of the king, you're going to have a number of enemies. And the enemies all start to plot and say, how in the world can we knock Daniel off his perch? Because at the moment, Daniel seems to be able to get away with anything. Daniel seems to be able to do anything. And Daniel, everything Daniel touches turns to gold. And so how are we going to trap him? And they realize the one way to trap him, his, his greatest strength is his greatest weakness. His greatest strength is he's all in. His greatest strength is he will not be denied serving God and the purposes of God. His greatest, but it's also his greatest weakness. And so they say to, say to the king, you know, you need to set an edict. And the edict has to be that, the, that no one's allowed to pray to anybody else. No one's allowed to worship anybody else. And if anyone's caught, it sounds like a decent thing, doesn't it? He's the king. If anyone is caught worshiping or praying to anybody else, then we'll just, we'll, you know, we'll kill them. And back in the day, that seemed like a good thing to do. And so we read, we read this. It pleased Darius to appoint 110, 20 satraps, their leaders, to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. He's the man. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself amongst the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, oh, King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learnt that the decree had been published he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. And the story goes on that the guys were watching for him and found him do that and they ran off, as you would, to the king and said, King... Exactly what we thought was going to happen was going to happen. Daniel doesn't love you very much and he's against you and he's only for his God and you, you, you made this law and you can't repeal this law and now you're trapped and he has to go and be killed. All I want to say tonight, and this is the simplest sermon I've ever preached, here's the thing. The secret to Daniel's fruitfulness, the secret to Daniel's success, the secret to Daniel rising up above everybody else was the pattern that Daniel placed in his life to pursue the presence of God. It's exactly what Crystal was saying. The secret to you walking in a relationship with God and therefore being able to obey the promptings of God and therefore being able to move in the power of God is you having a life patterned after the presence of God. If you want to live a life infused with the power of God, you would live a life patterned after the presence of God. Do you know, I have never met anybody in my life that I respect spiritually that I want to follow. I want to say, well, check out that guy. Check out how much he knows God. Check out that girl. Check out how much she serves people who doesn't have a rhythm and a pattern of prayer and devotion in their life that they can articulate. If you really want to, be, to find yourself in the center of God's repair job for this world, if you want to find yourself being useful in his kingdom, if you want to make a difference in this city, you would find a rhythm and pattern of life that would prioritize the presence of God. That's what Daniel does three times a day it doesn't, I don't care whether it's three times a day ten times a day or even twice a day but you need a rhythm it doesn't matter whether it's five minutes ten minutes an hour those things are not important I don't care whether you read the whole of the Bible in a year the Bible in ten years one verse every day it honestly doesn't matter don't let anyone tell you how you should do it but allow people to say you really need to do this if you really want to walk with God because this is not enough just showing up at church and, and, and singing songs. That's great, but it's, it's not going to sustain a life for you. And so that's why we do Rooted. That's, that's what that is. I mean, honestly, it's, it's been a complete pain for me this summer. I thought it was going to be really simple to talk to techie guys about apps. I don't understand a word they're talking about. They keep asking me to do APIs and CMSs and something else's and I just nod and go, yes, I'll do that. And then they come away and go, I don't know what they just said to me. I have no idea. But we we spent the last six weeks trying to put um, content into an app so that in the morning there might be something for us to read together and think about together and start our day with God. We talk about being in the cave with God. And at lunchtime, we might be able to pause our day and go, hey, let's remind ourselves of who we are and whose we are and why we do this thing. You know, because how easy is it to start your day thinking, yeah, I'm going to do stuff with God, and then about 10 minutes into the day, just find yourself responding in a way that's not helpful, spending stuff in a way that's not helpful, doing stuff, because you've just totally forgotten that actually your life is not yours. and you'll you, be interrupted and go, do you know what? I'm part of God's mission in this world. And at the evening time to sit with friends or family and to, and to say, well, what was God saying to you and what did you do about it today? Because we do this thing together. This, this Christian life thing is a, is a team sport. It's not you, yourself, and you sitting in a corner doing stuff because I, I need people to make me brave. And then in the evening as you lay your head on a pillow at night saying, God, I, I didn't do this day for me although I did a bit. (laughs) I did it so I might grow and learn and every day being a school day and and how can I become more like you? How can I become more like your compassion and your grace and your truth and your mercy? How How can I carry more of your forgiveness? How can I receive more of your healing and reflect on the day? If you want to live a life, serious guys, there has never been a time, there has never been a time in my lifetime, and I'm like 25, <laughs> twice almost, there has never been a moment in my lifetime. And I don't suspect anybody who actually is living today when it's been, it's been more important to find yourself in the center of God's repair job for a world that's broken. There has never been a time where it's been more important to work out who you are, whose you are, and what you're for. There has never been a time to hear this statement that's more important. If you want to live a life infused with the power of God, you would learn to live a life patterned after the presence of God. That's what Daniel does. And Daniel starts doing that at age 14. And he's still doing it if you read the story of Daniel at age 80. He doesn't care. He's not fazed by anybody, not freaked out by anybody, not intimidated by anybody else. He's not worried or anxious about what's going on in politics. He's not concerned about the economy. And he's certainly not getting his knickers in a twist about the family. He's just saying, do you know what? Honestly, all those things are there. They're all important. I'm going to get involved in all those things. But my primary concern, my primary heart, my primary agenda is to know God. And to let him know me and to serve him with everything I've got. If you want to live a life infused with the power of God, you would live a life patterned after the presence of God. Shall we pray? So God, would you show us how? Would you show us how to discipline our lives so that discipline might become habit? Habit might become lifestyle. And lifestyle might honor you. God, we we collectively would want to live lives that represent you well, honestly and well. We collectively would want to live lives that make a difference in our city and in our nation that love people well like you do that have compassion for people that you have compassion for. We collectively would love to learn how to speak in a way that is consistent with who you are and what you do. So Holy Spirit we invite you to come and touch our hearts change our minds, infuse our wills. Holy Spirit, would you come? And where we have prioritized other things, just in that gentle way you do, just point those things out, put a finger on them. And where we have mistakenly thought that we can just add you as a as an additional extra to our life, would you just point that out and bring us to a place of response? We would be like Daniel's, whose bodies are in the city, but whose hearts are in heaven.